0: Good morning. It's good to see these welcomings linger. I love it. Welcome here. Um, I'm, my name is Chandra Stiles. I'm one of the two youth pastors here at Forest Grove Community Church at our Attridge location. And I have been away from this location for the last little bit, so it's really good to be back. Um, every summer, I have the privilege of spending 10 weeks up at Camp Kadish on Christopher Lake, um, my job there is the leadership and discipleship director. So I get to be involved in staff leadership development and their discipleship throughout the summer, as well as camper spiritual formations, what we do in our like chapel times and our cabin times, and then the follow-up that we have after they leave camp, how they can continue to stay connected to spiritual community. Um, and I've been thankful to be able to do that every single year that I have ever worked here, um, this church has blessed me immensely in being able to participate in the ministry there. We have had a great summer so far. Um, our staff team this summer has just been phenomenal. There's just significant maturity and unity. And uh, we have just seen young people rising up to love their campers well, to share the truth about who Jesus is with them. The first week of camp, we did have something that we've been calling the plague, which is uh, a horrible stomach flu That whipped through our camp. I have never in my 19 years on staff ever experienced a stomach flu like that. And so there was quarantine zones and there was like whiteboards charting who's drinking what when. It was wild. But our staff really banded together to care for um, campers and staff who are sick and we're all okay. We did have one staff member get significantly sick, have to spend some time in the hospital. But he is doing much better now. Uh, And an encouragement to you guys, we have tons of Forest Grove youth and young adults Working at camp this summer. Not just Camp Kadish, at other camps as well, but at, at Camp Kadish, I get to spend my summers working alongside our youth and our young adults as they share the truth and love of Jesus with campers, and that's pretty special. Um, we also have a ton of Forest Grove speakers at uh, Kadish this summer, so about half of our speakers are people who are coming from Forest Grove. Not just pastors, but also just like lay leaders and volunteers. So that's really encouraging. So if you're ever thinking about something to pray for, please pray for those in camp ministry. It is a really significant and beautiful place where campers get opportunities to, uh, to know Jesus, but also just to be loved very well. Um, we are in the last four weeks of summer now, so we only have four more weeks left. And I know Redberry, I think, has a similar amount. So you can be praying for us as we, uh, as we enter into the last half of our summer. This morning, I'm going to be sharing with you, actually, from our camp theme. Now, each year, we kind of prayerfully consider a theme for the summer that kind of frames the way that we want campers to go home and remember the things that we've shared with them about Jesus. Um, And it is amazing how every summer, this theme just kind of infiltrates into the processings of our staff and our campers, and it all becomes this, like, kind of lens that we begin to process our own transformation in Jesus through Um, And how God really speaks to us through. And this summer it has been no different. Um, Our theme this summer is seen and known. The idea that we have a God that we can see and know. That we are seen and known by him. And that others can see and know God through us as we follow him. Our theme verse this summer is 2 Corinthians 4.6. And it says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ Jesus. The idea that God created light in darkness as this physical, tangible example of his light that pushes back darkness in our lives that we then contain within ourselves but then can share with the world around us so that that God can be seen and known. That we can see and know God that we are seen and known by him as his children, and that others can see and know God through us. And we've been really leaning in with our campers in the way of just like sometimes to see and know God, you just have to stop and pay attention. You know, you have to look at creation around you or look at the relationships around you or just even pay attention to the thoughts and the feelings that the spirit stirs up, and all of a sudden God starts to reveal who he is to you. Um, But that also, as we see and know him and his character, That we can know more about ourselves and the way he's created us. And that we can understand more of who we are, what we can do in the world around us. But then as we let those thoughts, partnered with the Holy Spirit, actually change us and transform us, then we live lives that then become a picture of who God is to other people. It's this beautiful cycle that continues in the world. So this morning, we're going to look mostly at our role uh, in other people's ability to see and know God. We're going to do this through looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, bits and pieces of that. We're going to look at how God invites us into small actions of obedience that show other people who he is. So let's pray together. Spirit, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we are gathered, that you've called us together. Thank you for the fact that you are amongst us. Thank you that as we read God's word, that we are able to know and understand because you dwell within us. And I just pray now that as we read these words of these passages, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, if there are specific words for specific people, Lord, that you would make those so undeniably known to them. Jesus, if there are those who are here who are are still searching to figure out who you are or where you are in their life, God, that they would would see you this morning. Um, And that in all of us, you would continue to stir a hunger for more of you and more of your kingdom. So, yeah, we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, one of the things that we love to do at camp and at Grove Youth is we love to get people talking to each other because that's nice to do. Um, And then we love to hear the answers of the questions that they're they're asking. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. It's not like a deep personal one so you don't have to be freaking out. Uh, But you can share with your neighbor for like 30 seconds. And then I'm going to get some of you who might be bold enough to answer this question out loud so my question to you is what is the coolest thing or like the most memorable memorable thing you have ever seen with your eyes go talk to your neighbor Okay, we're going to come back together to answer this question. I told you I'd only give you 30 seconds. Uh, Okay, I would like a couple people to answer the coolest or most memorable thing they've ever seen. It has to be appropriate. So if it's not church appropriate, maybe save it for later conversations after lunch is done somewhere else. Um, But anyone, what is the coolest thing you've ever seen? You went to Israel. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. Anyone else just shout them out? Childbirth. That's amazing. It's a miracle. Absolutely. Hot air balloon ride? Where? In Turkey. Whoa. Hot air balloon ride in Turkey. That would be amazing. Anything else? I know you guys have done cool things. You're cool people. What have you seen? Your son's testimony of his life. Yeah, wow. It's amazing. Young people, have you seen any cool things? Nothing, hey? Okay, well, got some work to do. Um, okay, well, I'm sure that there were many more cool things that were shared or memorable things. Um, when we see something memorable, it strikes us. It captures our attention. It sinks deeply into our memory. It becomes something that's like, very fond to us. It can create curiosity, you know? Like whenever I walk someplace with my dad, my dad is a concrete construction worker. Anywhere I walk someplace where there's lots of concrete, he just stands there, and he's like, how much concrete do you think is in there? How did they get the trucks in there to pour this concrete? Like he's so curious about this creation that's made because it struck him. He's intrigued by it. Or, you know, maybe we say like, how, we see a sports team and we say, how can they play like that? Or we hear music and we're in awe of it and we're like, how do they learn to sing like that? Or use their instruments that way. Um, When we look at things and pay attention to them, sometimes it it can help us understand maybe um, the way things work or leave us in awe of not knowing. And it can often inspire us to tell the story. You know, often when we see something that's really cool or memorable, we go home and we tell our friends or our family because it's something that's amazing. And it's something that we are cherishing. Um, And it makes this thing that may have seemed unreal... Real because we've seen it with our own eyes. It makes something we can see and know and experience and understand. I think that when the followers of Jesus live out the way of Jesus in and around those people who live near them, the people see Jesus. You know, as we live out the ways that Jesus instructs us to live in his word, then other people's attentions are captured or their curiosity is piqued or their understanding of God grows And their ability to know him and be impacted by him deepens. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to the people of Corinth. And much like us, they're followers of Jesus just trying to figure out how to do it. How to be people who are living in the way of Jesus. And they get stuck sometimes, just like us too. They're dealing with things like division, correction, um, different kinds of sins that are kind of infiltrating their community. Even just like adjustment from living one way to living a new way. And Paul has been visiting them and teaching them, and he is seeking to inspire them, maybe correct them a little bit as he does, um, but inspire them to be obedient and saying that through obedience, other people will see and know Jesus and his way. So we're going to start reading at the beginning of chapter 3. And here Paul is helping uh, the people of Corinth kind of understand the ripple effect of living the way of Jesus in the the lives of people around them. And he's talking about a letter of recommendation, which is basically like him saying, like, um, is there some kind of witness or is there some sort of, like, clout to the way that you have been living out Jesus? Is there something that we can see that's like, okay, we know that there's a ministry happening? And he first talks about his ministry with the Corinthians. And so he says this, The only letter of recommendation that we need, meaning Paul and his team, is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. And it is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Paul starts off here, he starts off trying to inspire other people to live the way of Jesus towards others by saying, take a moment to think about your own life and who's lived the way of Jesus around you and helped you, your life to change. He starts off talking about how the Corinthians and the way that they live out the way of, of Jesus is actually a letter of recommendation or a picture of the ministry that Paul and his team did with them, that, that the gospel which is the good news that Jesus died and rose again to conquer our sin and bring us new life, invites us into relationship and lifelong transformation with Jesus. That that gospel was deposited into the Corinthians and taken root and through the work of the Holy Spirit is now changing their lives and can go out to change other people's lives. As we think about how we can be a window of how God is seen and known to people around us, its also helpful to sometimes stop and first think about who we have been seen and known through, and realize that we are a letter of, of testimony. We're a letter of ministry. We are the letter of someone else's obedience to sharing Jesus Christ. Uh, before we can influence others, someone had to influence us. Before others can see and know Jesus through us, we had to see and know Jesus through someone else. Someone was obedient to praying for you, maybe having a conversation with you or many conversations with you. Maybe it was someone who worked at camp and shared Jesus with you, or someone who talked about Jesus in your workplace. Um, maybe it was someone who stepped out in boldness and asked for, to have a conversation with you about Jesus that you'd never had before, or someone who served you selflessly, or someone who just cared for you in a time of need. Maybe it's not just one person, but it's actually a collection of people who deposited those gospel truths in you, and they stood ready to continue to do that until you understood Jesus' love for you and how to live in his way. Um, and the Spirit used them to open your eyes to who God is. I have a picture up here of some of my cabin leaders from um, 1996. These were my cabin leaders the summer that I decided to follow Jesus. Because these women gave up their summer to serve at camp because they were willing to get paid basically nothing to work a a 23-hour-a-week, six-day-a-week job, because they were willing to live away from their boyfriends and their families and their communities, because they took time for long, difficult conversations on the beach well into the night, and they were honest and challenging and loving, because they and other cabin leaders that summer said yes to a call in their lives. I decided to follow Jesus. Whenever I get weary or discouraged or feel hopeless or feel like I don't feel like anything is happening, I think about these women and I realize I am their letter of their obedience to Jesus and how their ministry has affected my life and now goes on to affect the lives of many others. You are a letter. Maybe you are a start of a letter or you're midway through or you're a long ways in. But regardless, God has used someone to help you see and know and follow him. And I believe that Paul brings attention to this, to the Corinthians, and so us, so we can remember that we all have those people. And we can all be that person, those people to someone else. And then that someone else can be that person to someone else. And if we were all just to be that person to one other person— Imagine how the kingdom would grow. So Paul continues to um, put out an invitation to be that person who a letter of ministry can be um, written about. In 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6, he says, We are confident of all of this because our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He's enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. I think Paul is, is so smart in these words because he knows that when we are put forward with like a really heavy like responsibility, like sharing the life-changing truth about Jesus with other people that often our first response is to just be like, no, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Like, that person can do that, but I, I just don't know if that's me. You know, we say things like, I can't use my words to talk about what Jesus has done in my life. I always fumble over them, and I never say the right thing. Or like, I can't invite someone into my home to experience hospitality. My house is always dirty, and my kids are really loud, and, and like, you know, I have a dog. They might not like a dog. You know, we, we might say, like, I can't work with the poor or the marginalized. I don't want to offend them or hurt them, or I don't want to see things that I don't want to see, you know, I can't work at, at camp because I have to give up my summer and my bed and my shower, and I don't want to give those things up. Or I can't work with teenagers. I've said that a few times. You know, I can't work with teenagers because I don't know how to talk to them or how to get through to them, or am I cool? I don't think I'm cool, but do they think I'm cool? Does it matter? I sometimes Google what is cool right now. Literally, I do this because I want to be relevant it's sad but it's happened um and so we we doubt ourselves we put all of these caveats in place that say we are disqualified from being people who influence people in that way but then paul just like drops this kind of conversation killer and he's like well our qualifications come from god so you can't say you're not qualified because if you have the spirit you're a follower of jesus that's just that's just the truth for you You are qualified because God says you are. There are many times in our life where we do not have a realistic perspective of our qualifications, especially when it comes to sharing Jesus with others in our words or our actions. You know, sometimes we doubt. We say, I don't know enough. Or I wasn't raised as a Christian, so I can't do this. Or like, I'm not in the right place. Or people won't listen to me. Or like, I have this reputation because I just came from this life where I was making tough choices and now I'm here, why would anyone think I can tell them about Jesus? No one would listen to me. Or maybe we land on the flip side of that, where we kind of have a lot of pride, and we think, well, I have all this experience, and my gifts are so prevalent, and you know everyone should listen to me, but are they really, like, should I spend my time on them? And we kind of disqualify ourselves from um, the people who might need us in the everyday, and we think, I can only make my investment in people who are really worth it. But Paul says neither of those things do the work. He says we are qualified by the spirit of God that lives within us. And therefore we are, are ordained or we are invited. And we are enough to share his love and to share his freedom with others around us. And that there is no excuse. The spirit is the one who makes us competent. And we respond with our own work alongside that by learning and growing. The spirit is the one who opens doors and provides opportunity, and we respond alongside that with obedience. The Spirit is the one who will give us what is needed to give away to show the gospel of Jesus, whether that's words or presents or time and finances. And God says we will always have enough to be able to give it away. Um, There are these things that I really like. I actually really hated them, and then through hating them, I really liked them. Weird thing. But they're called flippy quotes. Actually, that's not like a thing that they're actually called. I call them that. They're called flippy quotes. It's something that's used in like literary writing sometimes where if you're an English person, it's like an A, B, B, A kind of um, pattern. So maybe you've heard the quote like, um, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah, you get it? Okay, there's a couple other ones that are around there. Well, there's a, a flippy quote, which I think is kind of a cheesy Christian flippy quote, but it holds a lot of truth. And it's this, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. There's been many times where I have resisted remembering this quote because I thought it was cheesy, but God has brought it to mind to remind me of my place in his kingdom work. This year, I took a five-month sabbatical, or a study and refreshment leave, and I went through a lot of very difficult reflection on my life. And there was a period where I was just feeling so underqualified for everything that we were walking through. And I was feeling so defeated. I felt like I was underqualified to be a non-biological parent in a predominantly biological family-focused setting. I felt underqualified to support many people around me through difficult and painful mental health situations that I felt very hopeless in. I felt underqualified to be a woman in ministry who desires to be a strong and good leader. And I had to face these things and face these underqualifications and say, God, qualify me. And I let the Spirit of God speak over me that my qualifications come from God, that I am called and that I am enabled to be a minister of his new covenant. Because Paul also says that. He says that when we are qualified by God, then the Spirit of God actually enables us to be ministers of the new covenant. And the new covenant is what we receive, the forgiveness and the redeemed life that we receive when we come to know and believe in Jesus and his life and his death on the cross, which conquered sin and his resurrection. And it is the new life that we receive when we come into relationship with him and when we follow his way. And God, in his mercy before Jesus, he created the Old Covenant, which was basically kind of like a list of laws or written laws or rules that were kind of memorized and adhered to so that it was to keep people away from sin, which separated them from God, but also to purify them and to help them be able to have relationship with God. It was this kind of merciful protection that made sure that they could live in the way of God's kingdom. But this law and these rules became very cumbersome and overbearing. You know, for the people who are boundary pushers, it felt insurmountable to follow all these rules, and they kind of just gave up. And for those who were prideful, it felt like they could hold power over other people who weren't following these rules. They could kind of insert their authority over them. And so God made a new way. God made a new way to be connected to him and to participate in the ways of his kingdom. And through Jesus, he said, we no longer need the written law of the Old Testament to purify us or to keep us from sin. But then through Jesus's death and his resurrection, the Holy Spirit is released for all of us to receive. So we would know the law in our hearts and our minds through the communication of the Holy Spirit. And then we would have the strength and conviction through the Spirit to live it out. Being a minister of the new covenant is being an administer of the freedom of a life lived in the way of Jesus. This is freedom from the sin that entangles us or the brokenness that overwhelms us, the insecurity that causes us to protect ourselves and what we have, and the despair that can seem to defeat us sometimes. And instead, through the Spirit, we are free to be obedient to a new life, the way of Jesus, which is a life of love and forgiveness and generosity We are also free to be healed from our brokenness and our pain. We're free to to give freely of our time and our energy and our resources. And we're invited into the freedom of having hope in every hardship, even the ones that seem insurmountable. This is the way of Jesus. This is what the new covenant produces in us. This is what we are invited to experience when we live life with him. And this is the way that we can invite others to experience him. To be ministers of a new covenant, that covenant first has to be real to us. We can't be living enslaved to sin or defeated by brokenness or living in fierce self-protection and then say, you go and live the new covenant. No, first we need to let that new covenant refine and reform and transform us. To be a minister of the new covenant, we need to first let the work of the Spirit through that covenant change us. And then as a response, we'll live out the way of Jesus so others will be able to see and know him. In the next part of 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, um, Paul just talks about the freedom that we can experience because we we give in to that new covenant and that life in the spirit, the way of Jesus. Um, And then he talks about the light that can be shone through our lives as we let the spirit transform us. So I'm going to read a big chunk here, and you can follow along with me. The old way... The laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. So just so you know, if you don't know the story, Moses um, was a man in the Old Testament and he went up and had an experience um, on a mountain with God and he like saw the presence and the glory of God and so his face was shining and people knew his face was shining because he encountered God. This was a little bit uncomfortable for him. So that's where this comes from. Um, So, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all, compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So, if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious... How much more glorious is the new way which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. Before we keep reading, just a word about the veil. So because Moses encountered the presence of God, and because the Israelites, his people, would have known that the presence of God was so powerful and couldn't be near sin, It was, like, a beautiful but also kind of a terrifying thing because they knew that sin led to death. And they were, like, fearful of Moses bringing the presence of God into their life because they're, like, am I so sinful? I'm just going to die in the presence of God. So it made them uncomfortable. And they were also, they had just been, like, worshiping an idol and just doing their own thing and making their own choices and kind of just being, like, we don't care what God thinks. So all of a sudden, when the presence of God came so tangibly into their community and they could see him, they became uncomfortable. And so Moses was gracious enough to veil his face as a way of not making them uncomfortable. But it was also kind of symbolic of him veiling that encounter with the presence of God. And the veil represents a barrier or an obstacle between us seeing and knowing God. And that's kind of what Paul would have been referring to. Um, And so he goes on to say, let's take that veil away. So we continue on. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth and this veil, or this obstacle, this barrier, can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who've had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before god and all who are honest know this if the good news that we preach is hidden behind a veil it is hidden only from the people who are perishing satan who is the god of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news they don't understand the message about the glory of christ who is the exact likeness of god you see we don't go around preaching about ourselves we preach that jesus christ is lord And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. In this passage, Paul says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And some people don't live in, in the freedom of God, and they choose to um, veil their faces so they can't see it. But Paul says that the Spirit makes us more and more like God when we live in freedom. We are changed into his glorious image. Glory meaning like the tangible presence of God. So we can become the tangible presence of God as we live in freedom. And that as we do that, the light of Jesus pushes back darkness in our own lives, and then it can shine darkness, or shine into the darkness of the, the lives around us. So we can actually push back that veil so others can see and know God. We can shine Jesus' light into darkness. When the light shines in our hearts, it can then shine out of us into other people. As ministers of the new covenant, as shiners of light into the darkness, that means that we may first have to let the light infiltrate our own darkness, but then we, as, as bearers of light, may have to go into dark places. As people who follow the the way of Jesus, we have to be willing to go into places of brokenness or hopelessness or shame or even sin that people are in. And we don't go there to participate in those things or to take on that identity, but instead to shine light. To go there and to be the hope and the healing of Jesus in those places. We can't avoid them. And it may be uncomfortable. Or it may feel like we shouldn't be there, you know, like it's too dark. And our light isn't bright enough. We, we may feel tempted, like to feel like the darkness is going to overcome us. But John one says that Jesus is life and light to all ma- mankind, and that when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness will not overcome it. He promises us, he promises us a light that never goes out. I know that we see darkness in the world around us, and it's heavy and it hurts. It can make us tired. And it can make us want to turn our face the other way and not want to deal with us. But that is where light is needed. If we are meant to shine light in the darkness, then we have to be in dark places. We can always be a light to each other, those who already know Jesus. And sometimes that is needed and sometimes, yeah, that is so necessary. But Paul is specifically charging us here to be a light to those who don't know Jesus. To have darkness, which is brokenness in their life, but also the darkness of sin that separates them from God. And he says, can you be part of the light that shines into their darkness? As a light bearer, that means that we can be truth tellers, that we can tell the truth um, unapologetically. And sometimes that's with our words. Um, In this passage, it said, you know, we don't need to make the way of Jesus sound like attractional or appealing. We just need to tell others who Jesus is and what he does and what it's like to know him. We need to speak truth and life in darkness often we just think of speaking truth as like just preaching the gospel I need to go and say Jesus loves you and that's good those words are good but sometimes first we need to lay foundations of truth and relationship before we get to that place like maybe we just need to speak out the truth of who people are meant to be of the potential they have as followers or as people who are created by Jesus um, we actually just to ask to see people with God's eyes and then tell them what what we see. And in unusual encouragement, they start to be curious about why we see those things. And then we get to tell them about who Jesus is and how God has created them. We can also be truth tellers with our actions. As we live out the way of Jesus, we actually tell a far greater story than our words will ever tell. You know, for me and my husband, the ways that we have seen the way of Jesus lived out in the lives around us has been the ways that we have continued to live that out. In times of need, when people have opened their home to us, um, we have been great recipients of that generosity. And so now we feel called to open our home to others. In times where we've been like working in camp ministry and our car breaks down and we have no money and people have been generous with their finances towards us, then we have been called now to reciprocate that and be generous when we see times of needs around them. When people open their lives to us, and just share with us the good, bad, and the ugly of what it looks like to be married, or to have kids, or to follow Jesus in the places that they are, they are put in, um, then we feel inspired to open our lives as well, to be a letter that can be read of the work of Jesus in our life. Um, we are truth-tellers with our actions as we live in the way of Jesus, the way of truth. Others read our lives like a letter, a testimony of the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so we, as light-bearers, are also truth-tellers with our words, and our actions. We are God's children who are seen and known by him. And we have a God who we can see and know. But he also wants us to live in a way where others see and know him through us. We are a testimony of someone else's ministry. We are qualified by God. We are enabled to be ministers of the new covenant. We can shine Jesus's light into the darkest of places. As we come together to worship and the worship team comes up, I want to leave you with a few questions to think about as you go through your week. And these questions are also part of the small group resources. You can find them online. How are you currently seeing and knowing God in your life right now? What is helping you to do that? What is hindering you in doing that? Who has God used to make himself known to you? Why was their role in your life and your faith development so impacting? What makes you feel unqualified for sharing the way of Jesus with others, with your words or actions? And how does God say you're qualified? Do you underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit in you or in people around you? How can you be more expectant of what the Holy Spirit is doing? Where would you like to see him move? How can you ask him for that? What darkness are you facing right now? And what would it look like for Jesus' light to shine into it? And what darkness do you see around you? And how can you shine Jesus' light into it with your words or your actions?